Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Jimmy, we're going to talk with our broadcast partners today as we take a look at these things that are taking place around the world and specifically things that happened in 2023 that are shaping our world geopolitically in the Middle East and going forward as they are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. You know, Rick, we use keys to unlocking God's plan for the future. The first the roadmap through eschatology, the rapture, the seven-year tribulation, the return, of the thousand-year millennial kingdom, and the great white throne judgment, and that's in the future. If indeed you're going to study Bible prophecy and come to some conclusions where God is in his time, you're going to have to understand this roadmap through eschatology. We understand that the rapture is the next event there's nothing that has to happen before that event. No prophecy must be fulfilled. Every prophecy yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled after the rapture of the church. And we are someplace before it. Then we focused on the Jew and Jerusalem. And that will be key to be able to know what God is doing in his time. On this roadmap through eschatology, you can place every single prophetic event that is yet to happen and that will enhance your understanding of exactly where we are. I believe we are in a time in history like never before, and the Lord is about to return. So Rick, let's get started with our first broadcast partner, Ken Timmerman. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I have Ken Timmerman with us. He is our expert on geopolitical affairs. He joins us every week to let us know what is going on around the world. He's an author. He's an analyst. You can find out more about him by going to KenTimmerman.com. Ken, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me on, Rick. It's a, always a pleasure. Ken, before we end this program, we want to talk a little bit about the year in review 2023, but we've got some news items to get to. So let's go there first. The first thing we want to talk about, what they're saying is the largest Russian barrage of missiles into Ukraine in the war. Can you tell us what's going on? This was a very significant attack on Friday, Rick. They hit Kiev, which they have not done for quite some time with missiles. They hit a couple of other cities as well. So this was really a missile barrage hitting all of Ukraine. The U.S. is saying that they feel the Russians have stockpiled these missiles. They refrained from recent attacks so they could have a large single volley as they launched on Friday. Uh, over 122 missiles and dozens of drones, we're told, uh, and many of them actually got through Ukrainian air defenses. And that's a problem going forward. Zelensky said when he came to the United States recently that they are very low on air defense uh, missiles, on air defense equipment and radar. The Russians are systematically targeting those systems. So this is a weak point in Ukraine's uh, defenses, and it could significantly demoralize the Ukrainian population in the weeks and months to come. Ken, this also comes as the fact that the United States, not necessarily completely backing away from supporting Ukraine, but saying, and, and maybe this is led by the GOP Congress, saying that you're not going to get a blank check. We need to have some more definition on what's going on here. So this is maybe putting the odds more in Russia's favor and maybe putting Ukraine to the test even more, isn't it? 
Well, Biden has got a problem is that he will not give in on the border, on securing the U.S. border. He seems to think and continues to think that securing Ukraine's borders is more important than securing America's borders. And uh, that has really got Republicans in Congress and I think a number of Democrats in Texas in particular very concerned, very worried. You know, Rick, they're seeing these endless caravans of migrants coming up to our southern border through Mexico, by the way. They're also coming through the northern border as well. That's getting less public attention. But every day sets a new record. Every day in December has set a new record for the most illegal crossings. Uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are coming across per month. Uh, it's well over 8 million, probably closer to 10 million since Biden has taken office. And the president simply won't close the border. So his Ukraine funding has been held in abeyance because of that. The Pentagon has nevertheless freed up another $250 million of air defense munitions, which they have under existing authority, so they don't need Congress to do this. But the problem we've got, Rick, is that uh, the United States, the Pentagon, the Army, the Air Force, we are running out of munitions. We don't have those stockpiles left. We have depleted them, sending them to Ukraine already. So even though uh, the Pentagon might be able to find some budget authority to release weapons to Ukraine while awaiting Congress to reauthorize new money, they just don't have the weapons to send. Very concerning. Well, we'll continue to talk about Russia. And we talk about their allies and their, uh, they have strengthened their relationship with their allies. Case in point is Iran. And now Russia and Iran have new trade agreements. You know, Rick, this is something we talk about frequently on this program. It's extremely important. It does not get media attention in the United States. We've been watching this slow dance of Iran and Russia getting closer and closer together over several years. This year, they cemented it with a strategic and military alliance. That's what they called it. President Raisi was in Moscow on December 7th. And just this past week, the two countries announced they were now going to start trading in their own currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. This is a huge step, Rick. It's not yet big enough to actually challenge the dollar's ascendancy or the U.S. currency being used as petrodollars, but it is a first step towards Iran and Russia becoming uh, an integrated economic entity. This is something that we see in Ezekiel 38. You know, this is that big alliance, Russia, Iran in particular, going against Israel. And this year we've seen Putin actually turn against Israel. Uh, some of our faithful listeners may recall two years ago, three years ago, when we've talked about the Russia-Iran access against Israel, I said, well, Putin for now seems to be actually very friendly towards Israel. He's allowed the Israelis to deconflict airstrikes in Syria, to carry out airstrikes in Syria without intervention from the Russians who control the air defenses there. Now, Putin has changed. He has turned around. It's a pivot, a major pivot against Israel. He's voting against Israel at the United Nations. He's voting in favor of Hamas. And now he has just concluded this trade agreement with Iran integrating their economic systems. I think this pushes us closer and closer to that Ezekiel 38 alliance, Rick. Let's move away from Russia and Iran and talk a little bit about the Israel-Hamas war. Now, you were recently in Israel, and we're going to talk to Dave with our Middle East News update in just a second, but I wanted to get your take on these pro-Palestinian protests going on all over the world, in France, in New York, you know, all over Europe. These protests that are taking place, 
pro-Hamas calling for a ceasefire. I would like to get your take on the geopolitical pressure that they are putting on Israel to call for a ceasefire. Well, I think actually they're not so much putting pressure on Israel. I think they're uh, gaining sympathy in the West for Israel. When people look at protesters in the street saying, we have to finish what Hitler started, or uh, they're calling for Palestine from the river to the sea, which everybody understands is a code phrase for annihilation of the state of Israel. I think actually that generates sympathy for the state of Israel. And it is I also believe, been a restraining factor on President Biden, who would really like to cut the Israelis off and call for an international ceasefire. And I think this has been one of the things preventing him from doing so. So you've got these protesters now who have been blocking the airports in Los Angeles and elsewhere, and now the NYPD is being forced to beef up the security for the New Year's Eve celebrations, the same thing going on in France, where they've got to uh, uh, deploy 90,000 extra policemen to basically defend the country against these anti-Semitic, hate-filled rioters. I think, Rick, that this is going to backfire on them, but they are unchained. They do not know any restraints any longer. They think it's okay to be a Jew-hating, filth-spouting demonstrator. All of the disguises have been dropped, and we're seeing them now for what they are. Certainly are. Well, Ken, one last question for you. This is our last program of 2023. Our next program will be next year. But what I'd like to do is, if you could, just, and I know this is going to be a tough call to summarize a whole year, but if you could summarize 2023 and maybe just pick out a few themes that you think were important that were established in 2023 and something that that we're going to have to deal with in the future. Well, obviously, it's the Russia-Ukraine war, but it's also these Iranian attacks against the United States using their terror proxies in Yemen, in uh, Syria, in Iraq. There have been over 130 attacks uh, against U.S. bases since October 17th when they first attacked the USS Kearney in the Red Sea. That was the Houthis launching missiles against the Kearney. Look, I think, Rick, what has really marked this year has been the continuing decline of American power, the continuing decline of American leadership, the lack of respect for American leadership around the world. This is dangerous. Uh, I have always said on this show and elsewhere that weakness is a provocation in places like the Middle East or in dealing with leaders like Putin. Biden has been talking very loudly. He's been screaming at Putin, calling him a murderer, and yet he's done very little concretely against him. Russia today is stronger, wealthier than it was before the invasion of Ukraine. Iran, the Islamic regime in Iran, is stronger and wealthier than it was when Biden took office. He has removed sanctions on their oil sales. Uh, They are now exporting over one and a half million barrels of oil per day. When Biden took office, it was 500,000 barrels of oil per day. Uh, And he's also allowed them to get money, $10 billion out of Iraq, given them $6 billion for hostages just one month before Hamas came into office. Really, I think these are things which as part of the big picture of 2023, we will look back upon the United States has become weaker, our president has become less respected, and he has been and his administration have been appeasing our enemies. This is not good for the security of the United States. 
Well, I certainly agree with you there, Ken. Well, Ken, I would like to express our appreciation for your insight and what you have done for us in 2023. And we're looking forward to continuing our relationship as you continue to give us insight into what is taking place in the geopolitical world. Ken, thank you so much. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much for this opportunity, Rick. God bless. Phenomenal job as always, Ken. Great job. Well, we got to take a break when we come back. David Dolan with our Middle East News Update right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Todd Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. The World Bank says the Israel-Hamas war could push Lebanon back into recession, fueling a wider demand for hostilities to end in Gaza. World leaders and global public opinion remain divided on how long the war should last, who's the victim and who's the aggressor. Pierre Husne of Horizons International. The perspective from outside is so different than the perspective from this region. There's so much polarization in the news and such an oversimplification of what's going on. We don't just view our, our region as Muslims versus Israelis. It's so much more diverse than what you see on the news. Based in Beirut, Horizons helps struggling people in the name of Jesus, no matter what country they come from, what religion they follow. And if you feel aligned with a particular group, consider praying for the other side. Brandon Bauer, the founder of The Lighthouse, a biblical recovery center, takes a biblical approach to addiction. We are created as worshiping beings, and we're created to worship God. And if we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something else. Um, The Bible calls that idolatry. The Lighthouse guides people facing addiction to Scripture as a first response. But truly, God says that He's given us everything we need to deal with life and godliness and training in Scripture. So if we take a biblical approach to Scripture, it's going back to God's Word and dealing with the sin that so easily besets us. Evangelism is step one in the Lighthouse's addiction counseling program. You can join the Lighthouse as a prayer partner or financial partner. Additionally, the Lighthouse can be a nationwide help connecting people who face addiction with the best biblical resources in their location. Mission Network News is a listener-supported service of One Way Ministries. Look for the support tab at missionnews.org. I'm Dodd Morris. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. On this last program of 2023, we come to you with our Middle East news update. This is a time in the program where we uh, look at news coming out of the Middle East in general, but Israel in particular. To do that, we have with us journalist Dave Dolan. Dave, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm glad to be with you, Rick. Well, Dave, all year round, you've been keeping us updated on what's going on, but especially since October 7th, you've been keeping us updated on the war between Israel and Hamas. Could you tell us what's the latest? Well, Rick, it's no longer really accurate to call it the war between Israel and Hamas because it has spread significantly in the north of Israel and Lebanon this week. That began on Monday with Israel's reported assassination. They haven't claimed this, but somebody did of Syed Reza Mousavi, who was a brigadier general and the chief liaison between the Iranian Revolutionary Guards and the Iranian government and Syria. He was said to be in charge of weapons shipments to Hezbollah forces in Lebanon and inside of Syria and to Iranian forces operating inside of Syria. His funeral took place in Tehran and all the top Iranian leaders were there denouncing Israel and threatening severe revenge. And then on Friday, 
we got a report from Saudi Arabia, not confirmed, that Israel, we knew this, this part, that Israel had struck at Damascus Airport, but the report said 11 senior Revolutionary Guard leaders were killed in uh, that strike. Many of them had arrived by plane to meet with uh, other Revolutionary Guard leaders that are operating full-time in Syria, and that includes the Eastern Syria commander of the Revolutionary Guards and other senior officials. Now, Iran is denying that there were any deaths, but it's being reported now by other Arab media that that did take place. So that signals that Israel is going ahead with what they've been warning all along, that if Hezbollah continued to attack in the north, which began the day after the massacre, they opened fire, not Israel, that if they continued that, that there would be a response. And all week we've had the heaviest shelling of the north and of the western Galilee of the war so far. Now we haven't had a Hezbollah opening up with its biggest rockets yet. It's precision-guided long-range rockets that can hit Tel Aviv. They can hit into southern Israel, we're told, Jerusalem, anywhere. But it's looking more and more like that is coming. This came after another Iranian-backed strike on U.S. forces in Iraq on Friday. And, of course, we had more action in Gaza. The fighting continues in central Gaza in particular. Israel announced Friday night that they had destroyed an apartment building in Gaza City where another tunnel was found used by senior Hamas leaders. And then another report came from Saudi Arabia on Friday saying that uh, Hamas has agreed to another ceasefire, a 20-day pause in which there would be a release of further Israeli hostages, around 129 believed to still being held after we heard that an American hostage died in captivity. We had that report, but it hasn't been confirmed. Israel is pressing for uh, the release of more hostages, of course. There were more demonstrations for that throughout the country. And Rick, all week, stepped up IDF action in uh, the West Bank, Judea, and Samaria. On Friday, we had a car ramming against four Israeli civilians that were uh, injured uh, by a young Palestinian who was shot dead after he struck them, deliberately, apparently. And Rick, this came after the IDF chief of staff said during the week that Israel is now operating on six war fronts out of a possible seven. Now, he didn't specifically name them, but it's thought to be Lebanon and Syria, northern Israel, Iraq, some Israeli action in Iraq against pro-Iranian forces there, and of course in Gaza, in Judea and Samaria, and against Houthi forces in the Red Sea, where we had more attacks during the week as well. The seventh is believed to be Iran itself, so hinting that that may come, and it's looking more and more like that is indeed coming very soon. Well, David, as you mentioned earlier in the report, those 11 top uh, Iranian officials that were killed in Damascus and Syria, that is an escalation that you have talked about on this program many times before. And it certainly seems like it's upon us. Israel is ready to take the fight to the Iranian-backed proxy Hezbollah in the north, aren't they? They are, and the chief of staff on Friday, Rick, was up at a Israeli air base uh, near Haifa speaking, and he said, we have one of the best air forces in the world. We're fully capable of carrying out this multi-front war. And, yeah, they have basically concluded that 
Again, Hezbollah started this in the north. They weren't asked to support Hamas by opening fire on northern Israel, and Israel's evacuated tens of thousands of citizens. They're still out of their homes there. We had more rocket attacks from Hezbollah on Kiryat Shmona during the week, the largest town almost abandoned, and other sites. We had more Israeli casualties up there. And by the way, the number of IDF soldiers killed so far in Gaza has risen to 168, but we had a death earlier in the week up in the north, and it just signals that Israel has concluded they have to, at the very least, push Hezbollah back to the north, away from the southern border. They cannot allow them to be operating there. They're not supposed to be operating there, according to the ceasefire accord of 2006, but they have been, and uh, nobody's going to go home, basically, until that threat is dealt with, it's apparent. But yes, especially the attack on Musavi on Monday, a very high-level target inside of Syria, and then this rather audacious attack at the airport, killing these other senior commanders of the Revolutionary Guards, is an indication that Israel has decided the time is here. We've got to move this war up to the north further as well. David, we were chatting before we went on air today, and we talked a little bit about the fact that Israel has long recognized the threat that comes from Iran, and this is just part of uh, what they expected to happen. In fact, Prime Minister Netanyahu has been talking about this for quite a while, hasn't he? He has, Rick, and frankly, we had the announcement this week of a commission of inquiry being established in Israel to look at the origins of this war, what were the failures in the IDF and in the political side that led up to the October 7th massacre and everything that's happened since then. And of course, Bibi Netanyahu will be one of the centers of that probe. But it is worthwhile remembering that in 2005, he warned uh, over and over again that if the IDF completely leaves Gaza, that there will be a Hamas takeover Uh, fully and that there will be then terror attacks, there will be rocket attacks, there will be war. And what we've had four or five, I can't even remember now, clashes since then, the major clashes and various terror attacks, etc. And then in 2012, he wanted as prime minister to attack the Iranian nuclear program in Iran to basically get rid of it. If that led to a full war with Iran, he was ready for that. But he was uh, vetoed by senior members of the military and other members of his government, but also the Obama administration. The Obama-Biden administration was very much against that, afraid of a war with Iran. Well, here we've had well over 100 attacks on U.S. forces since October 17th. Another one, as I said, on Friday. We've had these audacious attacks on international shipping in the Red Sea from Iranian-backed forces there. Iran has established this network since 2012, strengthened its support for Hezbollah and these others, brought in a lot more munitions for Hezbollah. So the war now will be a lot worse than it would have been in 2012. Uh, But, you know, Israel feels that they have no choice. The mass slaughter on October 7th was simply beyond the pale. And so it's time, it looks like, for them to deal with this in a larger way. And we'll have to see what the U.S. and uh, Israel's other allies do in response. 
Well, David, one last question as we wrap up this segment, the Middle East News Update. As we look at 2023 and prophecy today, we talk about current events and how they are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. There was a very eventful year. Many unfortunate events took place during 2023, especially for Israel and in the Middle East. But could you just summarize, if you could, I know we just have a minute here, but could you summarize how we are moving forward that end time scenario that God has laid out for us in Scripture? Well, it's definitely been Israel's toughest year, really, since 1948, uh, Rick, uh, with 1967 being a victory, 73 being a tough year. But here we had all the political internal divisions throughout the year and the anti-judicial reform uh, movement and all of that. And then, of course, this war, its greatest war since the Yom Kippur War, and maybe since 1948, and it looks like it's just going to further escalate. Well, I've said it before, Rick, whenever we have a major conflict in the Middle East, we always have prophetically important things come out of that, and I believe we will again. Uh, I don't think myself, this is uh, Gog and Magog, I don't think we're to that point yet, but this, we don't know that there's not going to be previous wars between, let's say, Israel and Iran. It looks like that is coming, not to destroy Iran, but to destroy the regime there, or at least to curb its power somewhat. And again, the prophetic implications for the world are great, too. And just more signs that we're moving into these last days and that the Lord's return is nearing. And, of course, the core of all this current war was Hamas claiming that Israel is taking over the Temple Mount, Al-Aqsa Mosque, and they're fighting to defend it. So, as we know from the prophets, the city of Jerusalem, and especially the holy place in it, is going to be the center of the last wars. And uh, here we are. We certainly are. Well, as always, David, thank you so much for your report, and we look forward to talking to you again next year in 2024. And Happy New Year to you, Rick. God bless. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have Winky Madad right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Dodd Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. The World Bank says the Israel-Hamas war could push Lebanon back into recession, fueling a wider demand for hostilities to end in Gaza. World leaders and global public opinion remain divided on how long the war should last, who's the victim and who's the aggressor. Based in Beirut, Horizons International helps struggling people in the name of Jesus, no matter what country they come from or religion they follow. And if you feel aligned with a particular group, consider praying for the other side. Meanwhile, the Lighthouse takes a biblical approach to addiction recovery. The Lighthouse guides people facing addiction to Scripture as a first resort. God has given us everything we need to deal with life's challenges, says Lighthouse founder and director Brandon Bauer. Taking a biblical approach means going to God's Word to deal with idolatry and sin, the root causes of addiction. Find your place in the story at missionnews.org, a service of One Way Ministries. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we're examining current events in the light of God's prophetic Word. And it's a natural for us to have Winky Madad on the program to look back at 2023 and the events that took place in the land of Israel. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I have Israel Madad with us. We call him Winky because that's his nickname. He's the former mayor of Shiloh, and he joins us today to talk about the top stories from 2023. Winky, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for having me on once again. 
Well, Winky, there are many, many stories, and we kind of talked about this a little bit before we went on air, that you could take an hour and a half to talk about what took place in Israel this year because there were so many things. But we'll start with what was the biggest story of the year, and unfortunately, this is not a good story. It's probably the worst day in the history of the Jewish people since the Holocaust, and that is the attack on October 7th. If you could, Winky, can you kind of tell us how that day unfolded for you, how it unfolded for all of Israel as they realized what was going on? Well, as uh, you and uh, our audience knows, that day of October 7th not only was a Shabbat, but it was also the last day of the Sukkot holiday, Simchat Torah. So my community, uh, about at least in the morning, by the time we got to synagogue, which was close to 8 o'clock, Maybe 95 to 99 percent of the people had no idea what was going on because we're living in Samaria or the Benjamin region of Samaria. And we didn't hear any alarms and no one was expecting to keep their phones on or anything like that. So only a few of the security people were up to things and and a little bit of a rumor began spreading. And some security people came in and said there's bad news in the South. But to tell you the truth, until the holiday was over at like 7 o'clock at night, I myself personally, and probably at least more than 50% of everybody else, had no idea of the severity of the ongoings down there. So that really took us by surprise. We heard, oh, there was, uh, you know, incidents. You you know us Israelis, we sort of shrug off a lot of things. So that was a complete surprise. And as the day uh, continued into the next day and the next day, became apparent that there was a major failing of at least intelligence. And because of that, lack of preparation with the less troops than necessary on the border. And that just led to everything falling apart. We're waiting, of course, for the war to end so that we could investigate this better. Why the army response was so haphazard and necessitating courage and bravery by people who came from the north of Israel Religious people also driving their cars, army officers, all the way down because they realized that things were very, very wrong. Well, we're going to talk about what resulted from that October 7th attack, and that's the ongoing Israel-Hamas war. But before we do, we were talking about it on this program, the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, that surprise attack that changed so much of the makeup of the Middle East and changed so much of the psyche of the uh, the Jewish people in Israel and how they dealt with their neighbors in the region and how they felt about being a secure country, a secure nation. And now we look at this October 7th seventh attack, and that's going to change it all again, isn't it? Probably. Most probably. I would even go assuredly. But it's also the same story. It's a what we call here the conception that began to creep into the political and uh, military minds uh, that Hamas was to a great deal deterred and was only interested in doing minor things to gain advantages here and there, but nothing of a major scale. There were indications we learned later that this was not the case, that their exercises were not just fun, but actually real planning for taking over tanks and breaking through the uh, the security border and fence and and taking over not only army uh, outposts, which they really never really did at all. Uh, I'm talking about the terror groups, whether they're PLO or whether they're, they always targeted civilian places, whether they're schools, restaurants, 
or now the kibbutzim. But they were uh, very well prepared, unfortunately, and we were not prepared for that eventuality. And we're stuck where we are right now, and hopefully, with God's help, we'll get out of it sooner than later. So the resulting effect of that was this ongoing Israel-Hamas war, and this has been a war different from any of the others. The others seem to me maybe to contain or limit the damage that they can do, but now Hamas is not going to exist anymore. That's what Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said. As we look at it, and your view as a political and historical analyst, how is this war going? Is Israel going to be able to eliminate Hamas, completely eliminate the threat? How do you view the war going right now? Well, let's start with the fact, and our listeners should keep it in mind, this is about the sixth or seventh time we've had a round of fighting. In other words, the political so-called solution in that uh, in 2005, we would disengage, give over Gaza to whatever Palestinian group is there, and that's the end of it. And we'll deal with the Judean Samaria Uh, on another level. But that wasn't enough for them. And so now, of course, not only the results, the horrible results, and I don't want to go into the details here, and I'm sure everybody's old enough to read his own report on the murders and whatever else, and the, the fires and everything else that went on that day. The fact is that we've had it with Hamas. And I think a lot of nations understand that. And so far, even though they're grumbling and warning Israel of this and that, we're going about the business with slowly but surely taking over the ground. Uh, And if we uh, go, and if you go back into the archives of our conversations over the past 10 years, uh, that's one of the things that I pointed out, that it's not impossible to cut Gaza into three main sections and go after the Hamas. It just needed, I guess, uh, someone's intervention, whether God or or Hamas, uh, to spur Israel uh, to do that. And I hope that within the next two to three months, we'll be able to finish the operation. Well, we've talked about October 7th quite a bit, and we've talked about this ongoing war between Israel and Hamas. So we'll move on a little bit as we continue to talk about the top stories from 2023. And these other stories, they somewhat pale in importance to the October 7th attack and the continuing war, but they did lead to it, and they were the top stories before October 7th. And the next story that I'd like to talk to you about, the judicial reform and the protest at that engaged. And we're kind of working backwards here, but there was a a lot of division in the country, probably more than I've ever seen in Israel as the political infighting kind of tore the country apart. And some people were even saying that the reservists would not come to defend the country because they didn't like the government, different things like that. If you could, where does the judicial reform stand now? And maybe if, in your opinion, did any of that division give courage to Hamas to maybe try this attack that they did on October 7th? Well, I wouldn't call it courage to pick up on your last point, but it did, I think, in my personal opinion, encourage them to Mm -hmm. uh, push on with their plans because of the rhetoric and the bitterness and the poisoned atmosphere that was uh, running everything. And the war resulted in the government anyway, saying at the present moment, there's no judicial reform. Everything is off the agenda We have something else to do and everything else. But as we're summarizing the end of the year, we hear that the Supreme Court is about to make a decision 
that might arouse the passions once again. And I hope they find some way to delay their decision. And we'll just have to wait and see about that. But yes, I'm going to go with you on that, that the divisions that were revealed only contributed to our security problems right now because it encouraged both Hamas, but more importantly, Hezbollah up north, which we haven't really discussed, and I'm not going to go into it, but they've been firing every day dozens of missiles or, and or rockets. So Gaza is not the only front. I just want to remind our listeners. Just a quick follow-up to that thought, Winky. Why hasn't Hezbollah fully entered the war yet? Do you think they see what's taking place to Hamas by the IDF in Gaza, and they're thinking that they don't want to have that happen there in Lebanon? Uh, again, I'd go with your uh, inclination that they are afraid of Israel's military power. But on the other hand, I think they're saying, well, we're doing very well on a low-intensity level because I'm sorry I don't have the exact figures of me, but tens of thousands, if not more than 100,000 Israelis, have been become displaced persons, not only in the south, but in the north. Well, Winky, as we continue on, we'll look at the next story that I had in line, and that's uh, before the judicial reform. And maybe what brought about the judicial reform was the emergence of a, what the media here called a right-wing government. Now, this was a very conservative government, but it was a democratically elected government. Uh, and there were several figures in that government that maybe were controversial in Israel, but again, a democratically elected. And this government was somewhat rejected or certainly not welcomed by President Biden here in America. All those things played a factor in what was to come, didn't it? Yes, I'd agree. Once again, uh, as we probably discussed over the past three years, since the uh, just before Corona, if we remember that far back, which would be closing up on four years almost, right? You had this rise of street protests against Mr. Netanyahu, basically 50% his personality they didn't like and 50% his, his policies they didn't like. And it just grew. And then we had embezzlement and criminal charges and all sorts of economic problems stemming from supposedly his embezzlement. And uh, it's all turned out to be I'm not going to say fake. It's all turned out to be nothing of a legal matter. All his cases, uh, and we covered this months ago, uh, are petering out slowly but surely. But this gave the inertia to the left wing to think that they were riding a crest. And Mr. Biden and Mr. Obama before him, who's still, I think, pulling a lot of strings, but that's my personal opinion in American politics, were set to receive Mr. Lapid and Mr. Bennett who were thought of as left center. And with less than a year, they fell apart. And a huge, as you pointed out, a huge 64 majority seats of the 120 Knesset went to Mr. Netanyahu's new coalition. This was, I'm, I'm not going to hold back. It was tragic <laughs> for the secular, left of center, liberal body politic in Israel. Uh, that he bounced back with a very strong showing. And uh, that's been bothering everybody who uh, is not with that political persuasion. Winky, we look at these politics because they're setting the stage for what happens around the uh, the entire Middle East and especially in Israel. So it's important for us to examine the underpinnings of what is taking place here. Well, 
Uh, finally, my last story, and we talk about it all the time on this program, the attack on October 7th was called the Alaska Flood, if I'm not mistaken there. And basically, they were saying they were doing that attack to protect Alaska the mosque, the, the Dome of the Rock there in Israel, the Temple Mount area is what we call it. And so uh, if you could, uh, we've talked about it on this program. There has been a resurgence of Jewish presence on the Temple Mount, nothing outside what is the status quo. And Israel has not been doing anything on towards there on the Temple Mount, except for just having a Jewish presence on the Temple Mount. And that is an area that stirs controversy across the Middle East for many reasons. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the, the Jewish presence on the Temple Mount and maybe how that contributed to the news that took place here in 2023? Well, as you pointed out, the Hamas operation was called the Al-Aqsa Flood, and it was uh, part of the Palestine Arab propaganda since the 1920s to use rhetoric of a religious, even a theological nature and character in order to mobilize the masses. In most politics in America, whether you're a Christian or Jewish or, or observant or whatever you want to call the term, it's politics of politics. You know, what's the economics? What's the foreign policy? Nothing gets involved. Uh, you know, God stays on the dollar bill. He doesn't move anywhere else, usually in American politics. For the most part, right? But with, with with the Arabs, it's a different story. They have nothing, especially that subgroup called Palestinian Arabs, which is a misnomer, but we'll go along with it for the moment, right? They have nothing else except religion. Their culture is no different than Moroccan Arab or an Egyptian Arab and Iraqi Arab. There's nothing unique about their so-called nationalism. So their uniting factor is religion. And they look at the Temple Mount and they see it as the one tool or instrument, if I can call it, that can unite them. And so they make up stories. Jews are doing this. Jews are destroying things or, or outside hours. Sometimes two or three Jews will do something that the police have to remove them. We're not, we're not talking about the masses of Jews at this point of time. And there's nothing wrong with giving people religious freedom. We're not at this point able, I think, or I don't think enough people are able to rebuild a temple. We can learn about it. We can we could promote it. But that's not removing the Dome of the Rock or Al-Aqsa Mosque on the southern side of the Temple Mount. But that is their, as I, used, as I said before, their instrument, their tool. And it was no mistake that they called their operation Al-Aqsa Flood. And uh, it's very unfortunate that people who believe in God cannot believe in man. God is for everybody, if I may get a little bit religious here on your program. <laughs> <laughs> but if man views God in a positive way, he only gets to be a better person. Because in any book, whether it's the the Hebrew Bible or the or the Christian Testament or or the Quran has elements of ethics and morals and good deeds, right? But don't let things take you over and lose the humanity of what religion is. And that I think is what's facing us 
and the specific question of the Temple Mount and the Jews being allowed to do this or not. And of course, the war that we're now caught up with uh, is also a, a, an example of when things go wrong. Certainly is. Well, one final question, Winky, as we look back at 2023 and uh, next year, the first program of 2024, we'll look forward. But as we look back, uh, you are a resident of the area that the media calls the West Bank. The world calls the West Bank, but we call Judea and Samaria. The fact that Israel is still standing, the fact that Israel is able to defend itself, the fact that Israel is still a Jewish nation Uh, that is protecting their Jewish identity while still trying to exist there. That is a positive, so it's not all negative. Can you just give us a little positive outlook on 2023? Well, first of all, I can't remember his name right now, but there was one philosopher who said, can you give me a proof that there is a God? And he replied, the Jews, meaning Mm. that all the promises made over the past 3,000 years are true because the Jews, me among them, are are still with us. We're still producing. We are still manufacturing. We are still observing. We are still uh, keeping up our culture, our language, our customs, our religious uh, commandments. And if that isn't a proof of God, I don't know what is. And so Mm. for the next year, right, we're just going to continue on the, the vision that we learned from Abraham's day and the rest of the fathers of the patriarchs and the matriarchs and all through the kings and et cetera like that, uh, that we think that we have a positive contribution to make to mankind, that we can do it by being ourselves and not disappearing. And it, it contributes to science, to culture, to ethics, even to economics and everything else like that. And I think the world should stop being involved in hating Jews or disliking Jews, but work together so that everybody can benefit in the coming year and years to come. Yisrael Madad, a good friend of our program and somebody that comes on and gives us a great perspective of a Jewish man living in Judea and Samaria. And he he has a perspective on the, the historical and political aspect of what is taking place there. As always, your insight is greatly valued and greatly appreciated. Winky, as always, we appreciate what you did. Thank you so much. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you very much for having me on. I extend blessings to everybody during this festive season and wish you all here good news. Well, Winky Madad always gives us information. I, I don't know who the philosopher was that said the proof of the, of the existence for God is the Jewish people, but I know my father used to say that all the time, and we still teach that, that the proof of that there is a God is that the Jewish people still survive today. Well, we're looking forward to 24 and we're looking backwards on 23. And I knew I had to get R.C. Merle on the program today. R.C., welcome to the program again. Well, good to be back with you, Jimmy. Happy holidays. I hope you had a great Christmas. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to the new year. So we're looking back. So let's talk about that. First of all, uh, let's talk about your website. You know, we have a lot of security issues during the year, but the, the theme that actually underpins uh, the blog and uh, it actually f- affected thousands of sites like ours around the world. Mm. Um, it, it allowed it allowed some malware into the site, and 
so we, we tried to fix it for, for several weeks. Uh, and then finally, beginning at the end of November, we decided we had to take the site down and rebuild the whole thing top to bottom. So that's what's been going on. We had, I felt like I was on summer vacation there for a while. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was really true. And, uh, uh, but we finally got it back up and running with our, our faithful tech guy, Lewis, and he got us back up on Christmas Eve, which we put up our big deleter post, which was our, one of our most popular posts of all time. So um, we, we're up and running again. It looks a little bit different, um, but I, I'm hearing good feedback from from our readers, and uh, hopefully we'll get be in full swing next year. We still got a lot of little details that have to be worked out uh, as we go, but uh, we're we're up and running. So prophecytracker.org is back up. Prophecytracker.org is that website, and go there. RC does all the work. He weeds through all the the waste that's out there in media land, if you will, and uh, he he does a great job. And uh, please visit his site. Well, RC, tell me in your mind, and as you have done your blog, you've seen the people comment, you've seen the hits. What were the top ten stories in, on your website for 2023? Yeah, a lot of them surprised me this year, uh, Jimmy, and I can explain that a little bit further later on. But the top ten, uh, start, starting with number ten. Okay, so we we don't have a drum roll. So this picture <laughs> a drum roll. Okay, okay. So a full Supreme Court press. So there was just a lot uh, during the summer from the Israeli Supreme Court uh, about the violent Israeli street protests. And uh, so the, the number ten post was uh, most viewed post was a full Supreme Court press. Uh, that was posted during the summer. And by the way, it's uh, rearing its ugly head again during wartime situation, and we'll keep an eye on that in 24. Yeah, that could become a very big story because it would be unusual for Israel to uh, to uh, distract from, from the war. Effort yeah, with number that. nine. Number nine, the Antichrist system is being placed right before our eyes. And in parentheses it says, but not many are looking. Um, and isn't that the truth? Aren't we seeing the, the, this uh, coming at us right really fast? Mm-hmm. Uh, number eight, Jimmy, was 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 the radio prophecy today radio program that we uh, we publish every week. That was good to see up there. Thank you. Uh, number number seven, Vladimir Putin turns on Netanyahu. Mm-hmm. This is uh, th- th- there's going to be more of this, I'm afraid, as we go forward. Uh, but uh, Netanyahu is viewing Russia as an enemy, according to the particular article. And that's prophetic, RC. That's prophetic. That's prophetic because we're going to see uh, we're going to see Russia coming at um, uh, Israel in the Gog Magog war, leading the alliance against yep. Israel. So that that was a that was an important post. Number, Number six, six, a message to Maui: uh, the truth may shock you about the wildfires that devastated Maui last year. So that got a lot of views. Mm-hmm. Um, number five, the Federal Reserve announces the new Fed, Fed Now. We, we did a, a radio program yep. on that, as a matter of fact. The instant payment system that, that, will, is a, that many think, and, I, and I'm one of them, think is a precursor to the central bank digital currency that we could start to see coming uh, next year with several countries that are on the verge of going into a, a digital currency, but the Federal Reserve Fed now. I was surprised to see that in the, in the top five um, this year, but uh, evidently it got uh, maybe the rodeo program did yeah. that because we talked quite a bit about it. Number four was the largest satanic gathering in U.S. history was to take place in Boston. Um, number three, uh, could Hezbollah join 
the Hamas Israeli War, which mm-hmm. just came out this yep. October. Yep. Number two, Techno Hell. It says Pfizer MNRA flu shot soon to hit pharmacies worldwide. Yeah. <laughs> Still and dealing with that, aren't we? And then the uh, number one, the number one post that would this really surprised me was the top economists and central bankers planning CBDC implants under the skin. That could so be that, the, a lead up to the mark of the beast, RC. It really could be. That's casting the shadow, you know, casting the shadow backwards. We talk about that often on the, 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 the prophetic events cast a shadow before them. So we could start to see how they're going to develop. And for those that are watching and those that are looking and looking at these prophecies and studying where they fit into world events, it, it becomes extremely interesting yeah. because we start to see the shadow developing right before our eyes. There were two headlines that did not make the top 10 surprise me. Number 11 was the U.S. entering in an era where there will be a cost to follow Jesus. And we're going to talk about that, I think, in a few minutes, but but there will be a a cost to following Jesus. And and number 12, actually, uh, number 13 was Israel at war. Now, that happened in October, and uh, and I'm thinking that a lot of people, I remember that, that first day when, when the war broke out on October 7th, I think a lot of people didn't believe that it was something as deep as it was, and that did not make the top 10, which surprised me. Mm. Well, what uh, encouragement can you give us, RC, as we look back over 2023, and next week we'll look ahead but what encouragement can you give us as we go into the new year? You know, we just keep, as your dad said at the end of every program, uh, keep, we keep looking up. You mm-hmm. know, if we keep our eyes on the Lord, the, the psalmist wrote, the psalmist wrote Psalm twenty-five, fifteen, one of my favorite verses. It says, "My eyes are ever on the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, and for He will pluck my feet from the net." So, God, if I keep my eyes on Him, He's going to get me going. He's going to keep me moving. He's going to keep me going forward. So that's one of my favorites, and others. And another one is is what we talked about with the shadow. Uh, Colossians two seventeen says there is a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So we have so much to look forward to as Christians. We have the rapture to look forward to. We have we have you know when, when we hear people telling us that they don't want to hear about things like that because the rapture scares them. They don't want to know about it. We tell them there just couldn't be any better news. There is no better news than that Christ is going to come for us. This, That's... Don't be afraid of it. Celebrate. Celebrate it because there's just nothing better. That's the hope that's within us, RC. Thank you so much, RC. We look forward to joining with you next week. Prophecytracker.org is the website. Make sure you go there and uh, take a look at his stories. RC, thanks a lot and have, uh, have a happy new year. Thank you, Jimmy. Same to you. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, the Legacy Series, a new series on the kingdom with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we are examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. That's right, Jimmy. We are, and this is what we do on this program. We look at what's taking place in the world today, and we realize where we are in God's prophetic timeline. As we continue to do that, Jimmy, I am always humbled at this time of the year. Jimmy, this is when we receive the majority of our 
support, the donations that are coming into our ministry. Of course, we always covet your prayers and we covet your support of our ministry. If you appreciate what the Ministry of Prophecy Today does, we urge you to go to our website at prophecytoday.com. If you go there, you can find out where you can donate, how you can support our ministry. Of course, Jimmy, as you always say, the most important thing that you can do is pray for our ministry. But if you feel led to support our ministry, we would appreciate that as well. Go to prophecytoday.com and follow the donate button. Rick, today on our Legacy Series, we begin a brand new series, and it's a study on the kingdom. So much of the Bible is about the kingdom. However, in the church today, there is so much confusion about the kingdom. In this first study, we're going to show you the pattern for the kingdom and the place where the kingdom will be ruled from by Jesus Christ. We're going to look first at the roadmap through eschatology, and then we'll go to Genesis chapter 1. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. I want to look at with you what may be the most provocative thought in Christianity today as it relates to where we, many Christians, believe that we are today. And that would be that uh, indeed Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords now, and that he is on his throne and that uh, we are in, uh, to some extent, the kingdom. There's a lot of Christendom that uh, would would be considered dominion theologians, believing that the kingdom is now in operation. Even if you are someone who doesn't quite believe that, but you still many times will use the terminology about Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, talking about the kingdom being in place. And these things... I believe, are very concerning uh, to me as it relates to what the Word of God has to say. And I believe that we must uh, have a proper understanding of the kingdom. Let me set in place, which would be the roadmap through eschatology, for the purpose of helping you get a handle or get an understanding or set a grid within your mind as how end-time events are going to unfold. The rapture of the church found in chapter 4, verse one of the book of Revelation, also in First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen to eighteen, and then in the book of Second Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses fifty-one to fifty-three. Jesus Christ Himself mentioned or referred to the rapture of the church in the upper room that night of the Last Supper when He made the following statement: "Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you." I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I shall come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's not talking about the second coming of Christ. I will gather you up to be with me. And so when we're talking about this information, we're talking about Jesus calling uh, the people up. To, he, he, he will gather us up to meet him, and we will go with him into the air. So that's the rapture of the church, a seven-year period of time. We have 16 chapters of detailed information found in the book of Revelation, which would be chapter 4 through chapter 19, detailed information about the tribulation. And then we have the return of Jesus Christ back to the earth. And this is the second coming, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 and following, when he comes back to the earth, followed by the thousand-year millennial kingdom, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 6, The thousand years when Satan is bound in a bottomless pit, the thousand years when Jesus Christ will rule and reign. And at the conclusion of that thousand years, the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 
20, verses 11 to 15, and then into eternity future, new heavens, new earth, and a new Jerusalem. But what I would like to help you understand is there's a kingdom period that is not yet set up, but will be set up. God has a plan, has a pattern, has a place for all of this to take place. And indeed, it will happen, but it is not now in operation. And this is very key. The kingdom, no place in the Bible that I can see, has been promised to Christians. We have a relationship with the kingdom because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But the kingdom was actually promised and then presented to the Jewish people. And uh, just because that was postponed does not mean that it's going to be over forever. Let me uh, begin with a look at the God's kingdom plan and how he's going to bring it into existence. Let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 1, if you will. Genesis chapter 1. And I want to show you the pattern for the kingdom because that's exactly how the Lord started out. He put in place the leaders of the kingdom. And this will help us to start to get a handle on exactly how the Lord has planned for this kingdom period of time. Of course, in Genesis chapter 1, we see creation, the six days of creation, and everything that Jesus Christ, the creator, Colossians 1.16, did to bring all that has ever been and ever will be into existence. In six 24-hour days, he says in the book of Exodus, over in chapter 20 and verse 11, I created the heavens, the earth, and all that in them is. Nothing before, nothing after has been created during that six 24-hour days. In the afternoon of the sixth day, in the morning of the sixth day, over in chapter 1, and starting in verse 24, he brings into existence all creeping things, all cattle, everything on the earth that would be the time for the dinosaurs to be created. They are not prehistoric animals. They were created on the sixth day of creation. And then I'm just suggesting in the afternoon, he's going to bring in man creating him in his own image. Look with me at verse 26, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now notice, and let them, them, plural, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. What is the them talking about? Verse 27 will define it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Adam and Eve, which has already been defined. God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Now notice. And subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And so the pattern for the kingdom was to have Adam and Eve have dominion over all of creation. Dominion is rule over all of creation. This is the establishment of the pattern of the kingdom that would be in the future. Them having a relationship with ruling all that would be on the face of the earth. God brings them for the purpose of being able to do that. Look at the place that this would all happen, and where would the headquarters be for this kingdom? We go to chapter 2 now, in verse 8, 
to see the place of this kingdom that the Lord would establish. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. I have to have a little bit of a concern about the way this verse reads because I don't quite understand what it's saying. It makes this statement. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Eastward of what? You see, if you're going to give direction, uh, the word of life in would be south of Scroon Lake downtown. And so you're having a reference upon which you set direction. And so I went to the concordance. I looked up the word that was there, the Hebrew word, gadim, uh, which is uh, talking about eastward. But it also, and most of the time, is translated before times or aforetime. And so I took an alternate translation for the same word, for the same word used throughout the entire Bible. And it would read like this then. And the Lord God planted a garden before time in Eden. In the second chapter of the book of Genesis, he's getting ready to talk to us about the garden of Eden and placing Adam and Eve there. And remember in the first chapter, 26, 27, and 28, he gives them dominion over everything. So that's the pattern. The husband and wife, Adam and Eve, will have dominion over everything. And in fact, it will be in the Garden of Eden where they will have the operation for this kingdom that they're going to have. Chapter 3 is going to tell us, of course, that because of their sin, they lose this dominion. And God then puts in place another plan. But indeed, they had the dominion. They had the dominion for all of of uh, creation. When did the Garden of Eden come into existence? Go back to chapter 1 again just for a moment in verse 9. And I believe it was on the third day of creation that the Garden of Eden comes into existence. Chapter 1, verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. Now verse 11, and God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and all the fruit trees yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so this, the third day of creation, I believe God brought the garden of Eden into existence at this third day of creation and brings everything in place for Adam and Eve to be placed in there to rule over the kingdom that he is going to give them in the sixth day of creation. I want you to notice several things about the Garden of Eden when it was put in place. First of all, it had trees that were bearing fruit in it at the time he created them. Now that's a very important fact. We got a lot of people telling us how old the earth is. And they base that upon the fact that indeed you have to have a period of time for all these things to evolve. The Lord God told Jesus to bring everything in existence because God the Father was the designer, Jesus Christ was the carpenter, and he's the one who brought everything into existence by speaking it so. But he did not take a little orange seed, dig a hole in the earth that he had created, stick it in the hole, put a little fertilizer on it, pour a little water on it, play some sweet music in the background, and wait for it to grow up and have an orange. No, when he created the Garden of Eden, when he created this beautiful, the trees, the shrubs, and the grass, he put a fruit tree there already bearing fruit. 
It already had age on it. You don't think he created Adam as a little baby, do you? Oh, Adam, you're so cute. One of these days you'll grow up and I'll pull a rib out of you and make woman. No, no, he created Adam with age. Everything. Those stars out there that supposedly have been sending their light for thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of light years. Those were created with age as well. Everything. You know, the Bible talks about in the book of Second Peter chapter 3, a bunch of people in the last days who will deny the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says they will be willfully ignorant. I like my translation much better. They will be dumb on purpose. <laughs> Not willfully ignorant. They're going to be dumb, man. The Bible says it. There's only one creature that was there at the time of creation. The one who did it. And then he told Moses to write it down. Scientists tried to explain everything. They have no capability because they're not even involved in true science. True science has to have someone who observes what happens and then be able to replicate it. No scientist was there to observe creation and he certainly can't replicate it. God's word tells us what happens and he brings into existence on the third day of creation, he brings in the Garden of Eden. God's creation of the Garden of Eden on the third day of creation was for the purpose of establishing the place where the first and, in fact, the last kingdom will be set up for the Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign from for 1,000 years and then into eternity future. Next week, we'll look at the similarities between the first kingdom and the next kingdom that will be ruled by Jesus Christ. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. If you go to our website, prophecytoday.com, go to the bookstore. We filmed a video on location in Israel about the kingdom. Matthew, thy kingdom come. We're going to take a break and when we come back, my good friend, Dr. Richard Schmidt, I call him America's pastor, will be here to give us a charge and a challenge for the year ahead in 2024. We'll be right back, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. 
I'm Dodd Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. The World Bank says the Israel-Hamas war could push Lebanon back into recession, fueling a wider demand for hostilities to end in Gaza. World leaders and global public opinion remain divided on how long the war should last, who's the victim and who's the aggressor. Based in Beirut, Horizons International helps struggling people in the name of Jesus, no matter what country they come from or religion they follow. And if you feel aligned with a particular group, consider praying for the other side. Meanwhile, the Lighthouse takes a biblical approach to addiction recovery. The Lighthouse guides people facing addiction to Scripture as a first resort. God has given us everything we need to deal with life's challenges, says Lighthouse founder and director Brandon Bauer. Taking a biblical approach means going to God's Word to deal with idolatry and sin, the root causes of addiction. Find your place in the story at missionnews.org, a service of One Way Ministries. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic Word. This has been a program where we've looked back at 23 and the events that we've made it through, Rick, and we're we're thinking about that moment as we get closer to midnight, remembering the stories of Dad talking about if God's going to come this year, he's going to come within the next few minutes, and we were scared to death. But we are prepared, and that's our role to prepare the body of Christ. And on the program today, as we look back, I thought, let me give something to look forward. And I thought, I've got to get what I have entitled America's Pastor, Dr. Richard Schmidt. Dr. Schmidt, welcome to the program today. Well, thanks so much for having me once again. Yes, sir. And as we take a look at the book today, I wanted to wrap it up, our program of looking back and sort of looking forward. Christians are going to be challenged in 2024. And it's time to awake, isn't it? Well, it absolutely is. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6, it said, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. In other words, uh, what are the challenges we're going to be facing in 2024? And I like what you just said. It's time to awake. It's time to get out of the sleepiness that we have. In fact, uh, verse 7 of First Thessalonians 5 said, For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night, but let us who are of the day be sober. In other words, it's time to wake up. So here's four things. First thing I think this passage encourages us to do is, boy, Christian challenge, we've got to be aware of deception that's taking place and so much the more in 2024. That's why I love prophecy today and what you uh, do on your program. You warn, you educate about so many of these issues Uh, We look at the upcoming presidential election uh, that's coming up and all the rhetoric and all the false narratives and so forth that are coming up, Uh, the climate change issues, the World Economic Forum trying to completely change our culture today. And boy, we've got to be aware of the deception that uh, is trying to overtake Christianity, the World Health Organization, uh, gender identity, deep faking deception from artificial intelligence, which is a whole topic in itself, Mm -hmm. the unbelievable media control and the fake news. So it's just almost impossible sometimes to figure out what is truth. Uh, We look at the censorship. Uh, I've been subject to it at times, and I'm sure Prophecy Today is too. When you put out things that are truthful, and yet certain outlets will try and stop it or silence us. So just being aware of deception that's occurring Well, the second thing, not only is deception a problem, but 
Uh, here's another thing we've got to be careful of in 2024, Christian Challenge, and that's discord. Not just deception, but actual discord. Mm. And uh, again, in 1 Thessalonians 5, it, it warns us to put on the breastplate of faith and love. Jimmy, in Proverbs chapter 6, God talks about seven things that he literally hates. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's pretty strong language. <laughs> when we look at Proverbs 6, it says, listen, God hates one who sows discord among brethren. So when we think of bitterness, anger, unforgiving spirits, God encouraged us in Colossians 3.13 and Ephesians 4.32 to forgive as Christ forgave yeah. you. Or if we could all get a hold of that in 2024 and stop the fighting and the bickering and wrecking families and splitting churches, we'd be a much, much stronger group. Well, God warns us, uh, I think, about deception and discord. But the, here's another thing. And when I think about sleeping, it, it reminds me of being disinterested mm -hmm. in the things of God. So uh, just a couple of things, boy, we need to fire up in 2024 the necessity of evangelism, getting out there and doing the work that God called us to do. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Boy, what a calling that we've been given as God's people uh, to be his ambassadors. Second thing that, uh, boy, we've got to fire up in 2024 is to be biblically literate. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, most everybody knows the verse, study to show yourself approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And the verse goes on to say, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more unrighteousness. Boy, how important it is in 2024 to watch these Christian challenges. So we uh, need to watch for deception, for discord, for disinterest. And finally, I'd like to go to the what I think is the major problem that uh, Christendom faces is we, we get so distracted by so many things yes, we that do. we miss that message. Well, very quickly, what's the message? Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Mm -hmm. That's that's the message we've been called to give. So uh, when we think about the Christian challenges, evangelism has taken a back seat to anything and everything. So many other things are so much easier uh, to do in our daily life, and yet God has called us to be evangelistic. Uh, that was Jesus himself that stated that. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Then we look at 1 Timothy 1.15. The Apostle Paul says the exact same thing uh, in different words, but he says this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Boy, how important it is that the Christian, that we're challenged. If Satan could stop anything, he would stop our evangelistic thrust. He would stop our, our push for biblical literacy. He would, he would continue to push discord among the brethren. He would continue to push uh, a deception and, boy, so many things that are, are deceptive today. So all of these things, when we pull them all together, are we going to be challenged in 2024? Absolutely. So I'm encouraging our, our folks at the church I pastor and through uh, uh, the ministries that we have together is, is this. Listen, we've got to be on guard. We've got to wake up. We've got to be vigilant in these very, very perilous times. Wow. 
Dr. Richard Schmidt, thank you so much. What a challenge and a charge for us at the end of the year as we watch events taking place and realize how close that we are to that event of the rapture of the church where history will then advance forward in a prophetic nature. Thank you very much, Dr. Schmidt, for being with us on the program this year. Please have a happy new year. I look forward to getting together with you to encourage the body of Christ in the future. Well, thank you and happy new year. With what we've looked at today, as we've looked past and we're looking forward, I do think that the rapture of the church is not far away. Let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.